1: We are on the clock. Welcome to the show. IB Nation Sports Talk up and running. Glad to have you with us here today. Final IB Nation Sports Talk of the week. And Jesse Stires makes his first appearance of the week. Well, how are you today, sir? You're looking good.
2: Uh, thanks. I'm doing well. I, I actually just got done showering, shaved up. Thought I'd look my best for the show today. I always forget that Thursday... <laughs> Is like the last show that you do before the uh, before the game itself. I know there's other shows, but it's the last IB sh- or Nation IB Nation Sports Talk Show. So I feel some sort of pressure to give some good information today on <laughs> on Stanford and all kinds of other things. But other than Jesse, that, I'm doing okay. Jesse, I think you've got some eligibility left that you could use, don't you? <laughs> I think I have like <laughs> one and a half years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, might, might want to pump and, and uh, you know, get, uh, get out there, do a little hit, do a little speed training, whatever it happens to be. Uh, we've got a lot we're going to get to today. We've got uh, a Stanford beat writer who will be coming up at the tail end of the show. But uh, we've got a lot of news that we're going to get to, the reference to Bo Bauer. Of course, we are not Marshall. Welcomes Jesse back to the show. He's been a little under the weather this week. He had planned to kind of be off anyway because of, like, some vacation that never came because of the, you know, Hurricane Ian and all that stuff. They were going to go to Florida and then they ended up here. And yeah, so Tyler wants to know, how was your vacation? I guess you got to go, what, Louisville, Cincinnati was the extent of your vacation last weekend, right?
2: Yeah, so Louisville was fun. Uh, Made the most of it. Got on a couple bourbon tours, which was fun. Uh, Went up to Cincinnati on the way back. That was solely because uh, my girlfriend, Went to the University of Cincinnati, so it was homecoming. So we went and saw a bunch of her friends, hung out for homecoming weekend. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it was all it was all fun until we got home uh, late Sunday evening. I started to feel sick, uh, and then felt sick the last like three days. So I haven't haven't worked much the last couple, you know, few days. Uh, felt felt under the weather. So that's the only downside of vacation, or you could say it's been an extended vacation. So you know, there's two ways to look at it. True, true. I guess that's true. Well, while we're sitting here, go ahead and smash that like
1: button if you would. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff for us. We appreciate you doing that. Helps out Irish Breakdown greatly. Of course, it's Notre Dame-Stanford, a Saturday night game under the lights. Notre Dame Stadium, we've got IB Countdown to kick off. Vince and I will Saturday morning. It's a big recruiting weekend as well. Ryan Roberts is going to join us on the show uh, on Saturday. We'll, we'll talk a little recruiting, who's here, and you know some big things going on. Um, This weekend. Let's just jump right into it, though, today. Marcus Freeman said during his Zoom conference earlier today, Bo Bauer out for the season with a knee injury. He was Notre Dame's fourth linebacker. He'd been playing with the injury for a little bit and, uh, you know, could only take it so long. So he is done for the year. This is his fifth year and he's already played in five games. So that is pretty much it for Bo Bauer. You know, big special teams contributor as well. Um, Freeman said that Prince Kali will likely see more snaps. You you could see Junior Tui Alamaka, maybe get some as well. I you know, I think folks are pretty excited to see Prince Kali, but you obviously don't want to see a captain and a guy who's put in, you know, what he's put into the program like Bo Bauer go down like this.
3: If you love drinking coffee every morning, you have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. Trade partners with the nation's top rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love. Fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. And you get to support small local businesses, which is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make coffee at home. My wife likes a dark roast with full flavor, and every brand we've tried has lived up to the billing. Whether it's the Big City Blend from Joe's Coffee, the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, or the Holmes Blend from Sparrow's, every cup has not only had a pleasing aroma while brewing, but also a rich, full taste. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com slash irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. That's drinktrade.com slash irish.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data,
2: Yeah. So there's a couple things to kind of get into. First of all would be Bo Bauer being out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. You know, obviously that's a tough blow when you consider what he does as a, as a nickel linebacker on the special teams that you mentioned Uh, the fact that he was a captain and a leader. And then obviously, you know, you never want to have a guy kind of end his career on an injury like this. You, you know, you talked about it's already his fifth year. He's already played five games. So he's really not going to get another year. Um, And, and yeah, he's, He's been one of their best uh, sure tackling linebackers, um, in my opinion, especially, you know, you see that on special teams, his speed and uh, agility. He actually made a really nice third third and goal play against BYU this past week uh, where he shot the gap and saved a touchdown on a really nice run fit. Um, and then and then moving on to Prince Kali, seeing more snaps. I, I think that's something that a lot of us have been wanting to see, but you never want to see it um, as a result of someone else getting hurt but it opens the opportunity for Colley and Colley has been playing well. He had a really nice sack on a QB spy against BYU. Um, and I see the nickel kind of QB spy spiral being something that Colley can be very good at and handle um, and get his feet wet and kind of get in, you know, get into the, to the rhythm of this defense a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, they need, they need someone who can move more sideline to sideline at this point. You know, all, all these linebackers have had their different issues. Jack Kaiser, has been better since he's moved inside more. You know, we haven't seen as much of J.D. Bertrand, but again, laterally, JD Bertrand, you know, can can get exposed and and Maris Leafoul just, you know, there's just some confounding things with him. But, you know, this this linebacker unit as a group needs to needs to pull its way up. And uh, maybe getting a a shot of Prince Kali can can kind of help that. I don't know because again, you know, just like you outlined right there, so we've seen some good things from him so far, and he's a good young talent that you know people have been kind of waiting for. And again, you always hate to see injuries pave the way, but when there are injuries, what's the mantra? Next man in, and the next max man in has to do his job now. So we'll see what what Prince and probably some other guys can do in some different spots as well.
2: I think Prince Kali getting the opportunity this week is something that would be very beneficial for him because if the Notre Dame offense can kind of handle things the way they're supposed to, uh, we might be able to see some, you know, more backup guys get the opportunity and get some more playing time. And I think someone like Prince Kali, who is on the border of, you know, the kind of ones and twos or getting in on certain packages could really benefit of just getting a lot of time, uh, um, you know, game, game time experience uh, this coming week against Stanford.
1: Don't expect to see Jalen sneed though. The freshman, you know, is again as talented as he is. Marcus Freeman was asked specifically about him today said, yeah, you know, probably not in the near future. Things are looking better. He's trending in the right direction at practice, but they need to see more out of him to to feel confident that he can go out there on Saturdays and ju- and uh, do his job. So I mean the 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 future of the position is really bright, but the future doesn't matter right now. You got to figure out right now and how you're going to maneuver the rest of the season. So at least what we've seen from Kali is is a good sign. Uh, Some other guys, Howard Cross, who missed the game last week, expect him to be back uh, this week, according to Marcus Freeman. Tariq Bracey is the next big one, though, still iffy after the hamstring injury last week. The nickelback, of course, best defensive back this season. Freeman said he looked good at practice yesterday, expects him to be able to give him something um, but expect to see probably some Ryan Barnes as well and maybe Ramon Henderson in those nickel packages. But this is, as we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, Jesse, this is a uh, a big receiving unit that Stanford has, and I think their best chance to move the ball is through the air. So Tariq Bracy could be pretty important Saturday night if he's able to go.
2: Yeah, both of those guys that you mentioned, Howard Cross and Tariq Bracey, are important for different reasons. Howard Cross um, has been a really, really solid player so far this season, you know, plugging up that middle. They'll need him to stuff up some of Stanford's RPO looks and what they're trying to accomplish, getting the run uh, kind of started early, which then leads to setting up their passing game. And then Bracy has obviously been Notre Dame's most consistent playmaker on defense all season, in my opinion. Uh, that was shown immediately last week with the interception to start the game. You never want to see a guy sit out, but you never want to push a guy um, and considering Notre Dame's upcoming schedule, you know, if if, if Bracy's not ready, there's no reason to kind of, you know, really push him because I think that there's bigger fish to fry uh, when, you know, looking at Clemson and Syracuse kind of in the immediate future. You don't want him to further tweak things um in a game that's you know, it's important. Obviously, every game is important. You're going to win every game, but I think that they have shown that they have depth in the secondary to maybe give Bracy some an extra some extra time off to recover. Yeah,
1: I agree. I agree. All right, so those are kind of the injury updates. The big question of the day, we're going to talk a little specifics about Stanford coming up here in a few minutes, but my question today, after what we've seen from Michael Mayer, this is year three, and uh, there has been no plateau in Michael Mayer's play. He just keeps continuing to elevate. We saw the exclamation mark last week with the 11 catches setting the new Notre Dame tight end receptions all, you know, the all time record moving past Tyler Eifert, 118 yards, two touchdowns. Can Michael Mayer be
2: stopped? I think Mayer can be stopped, but I, I don't want to, <laughs> for Notre Dame's purposes, I don't want him to, you know, to, to see him be stopped because. <laughs> he can be, but you don't want him to be. Yeah. He's the ultimate yeah. X factor kind of on their offense because we know, you know, what they're going to do with their three headed running back monster Um, But, you know, we've talked about this kind of a little bit in the past and I think it got brought up a little bit during the broadcast uh, this past Saturday is Notre Dame is willing or okay to kind of be mediocre at the wide receiver position because they have one of the best receiving tight ends in the country and he makes up for that, you know, aspect of the game. And so when you have Michael Mayer excelling and exceeding, he's only going to make that kind of load harder for your already mediocre wide receiver cast. Um, and so going forward, there's things that teams you know, can do to slow him down. And I think that you know the more effort that they put towards Mayer, the more it's only going to uh, open up kind of some of these other things in terms for Notre Dame wide receivers. Uh, you saw Jay and Thomas have a good game this past week. I think that that's more of what you can uh, you, know, you can see. And I think that that's what this offense needs is that one kind of big playmaker wide receiver to step up to help out the run game and to help out Mayer. Because if you can get all three of those things in synchronisation, I think that this offense can be one of the, you know, one of the harder offenses to stop in the country. When you're talking about, you know, three different kind of methods of attack, you have your intermediate passing with Mayor, you have your deep down the field passing with your wide receivers, and then obviously, you know, pounding the run game with your three different wide receivers or your three different running backs, um, and then the, you know, the variations off of that with your wider your running backs being able to catch passes uh, out of the backfield as well.
1: As Alan pointed out, the 11 catches is a single game record for Mayer as well. So, you know, he holds both the single game and the career receptions record for a tight end. So what specifically did you see in the BYU game? I know you went back, you know, you kind of looked at, at some things in detail. What would you see in the, in the BYU game that made him so successful? And how do you think teams could try to adjust? Uh, you know, like he's... He's picking up ahead of steam now. You know, there, there were a couple games where we didn't necessarily see as much of him. So what do you think? What do you, again, going forward, how do you see them trying to stop Michael Mayer?
2: Well, you know, going forward, I think I think what I'll start with is kind of what, what he, what I saw that made him super successful. And it's really nothing like uncommon, you know, considering kind of his size um, and his catch making ability that he's shown. Um, and I think the number one thing that that has really helped him, and it sounds really easy and kind of basic, but you know he's taking advantage of one-on-one matchups, whether that be a linebacker, a safety, a cornerback. It doesn't really matter. Depending on who it is, you know he's using different aspects. Uh, say it's a linebacker, he's using more of his speed. Say if it's a safety, a corner, he's just kind of using his big body and his basketball background to kind of shield these guys or box them out uh, in in some situations, and so. That goes along with Mayer being able to use his body to get favorable position. You know, obviously, he's he's got good speed, but he's it's not like he's going to burn past safeties and corners. He's just using his bodies and, and making safeties and corners kind of have to play through him or around him to get to the ball. And when he has, you know, those strong – I don't know if you saw it, but there's a lot – I mean, I'm sure you saw it, but there's a lot of his catches, uh, specifically on the third downs, where he's using a lot of his hands. He's using his hands – to go back and get the ball. He's not letting the ball kind of come to him. And I think a major thing that has to be brought up is Pine's ball placement. You know, these passes that Pine are giving him are windows in which he can only catch it. It's, you know, the, on the, on both of those touchdown passes, this past game, just great, great, you know, ball placement and then mayor using his hands and obviously big size uh, to get the ball. So, like I said, it sounds relatively easy when you break it down, but that's what Notre Dame has done and what they're accomplishing You know, I watched on some of these drives, they threw out four different formations in a span of like five plays. They've gone, you know, 12 personnel, 11 personnel, 21 personnel, 13 personnel, all in a span of five to six plays. And that's really hard for defenses to kind of keep track of, you know, where certain guys are on the field. And I think that's what helps Mayer is you know, these matchups that he gets because of these different formations.
1: So you think, because you, know, you you can see a case where it's like, man, you've got all these personnel groupings, you know, what what good is it doing? It's like you just keep throwing personnel groupings. So you think that could actually be helping them, changing them that much, you know, going from 21 to 12 and to 30, you know, just, just because of, of what you were just talking about there, losing track of who happens to be on the field at any given time.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's not it's not like you want to line up in, you know, 13 personnel three straight plays, but you know, after going 11 and 12 and maybe you pop into a 13, you know, personnel after right. coming from a 21, it's just yeah, it makes it harder because then at that time you you you're loading up these kind of boxes to look like heavy run formations and then you play action and you have mayor and 13, you know, 13 f- personnel one-on-one with probably whoever you want and like I said he's already proven he's going to be Linebackers, corners, safeties. It doesn't really matter who the one is. It's just the fact of getting him one on one with someone else.
1: I'm curious what you think of this, like when you've watched him, because you and I, obviously, as Cowboys fans, we saw one of the, you know, more traditional wide tight end type guy, you know, and, and Mayer, I think, has the body of Jason Witten, probably not as thick as Jason Witten towards the end of his career. Obviously, when he, you know when he was, you know the shaved head guy and getting a little bit older. But he's it, it, as Vince and I were talking yesterday, he's less quick twitch than like Kelsey and Gronkowski and those kind of guys, and he's more in that mold. But like the thing that that I noticed the similarities between a guy like Mayer, who is obviously still really young, and a guy like Witten, who was a veteran who played for so y- long and was. One of the top receiving tight ends in the NFL for a long time is just the feel for the spacing, the feel for where he can get, you know, like where those openings are, how to kind of sit and find those spots. It just, it, it, that's what, that's what kind of stands out to me about Mayer that really sets him apart from a lot of different tight ends. Cause a lot of guys have good hands and can run routes and, you know, do all these things. But it's sort of that innate feel for, you know, it, just his feel for the field and and how to to just find little ways to get open so consistently, even if there's not a big opening.
2: Yeah, I think the best comparison is the baby Gronk, and it's it's for that reason. You know, he's got really great hands. He's got good, you know, body awareness and being able to control his body. And like you said, a lot of those – not a lot of those throws, but at least – you know, I could I, – because I watched all of his throws at least two – or sorry – all of his receptions on loop, all 11 of them, probably three or four times. So there was a few of them where, you know, they're just extended plays. And like you said, he just knows where to sit down in the, in the zone. He knows, you know, and that, that goes back to, again, using his body to just kind of sit down in these, you know, open spaces or, you know, tight kind of windows and just use his body to kind of shield off or box out frame out everyone else. Um, And I think that we're only going to see kind of the, I the, you know, as he continues to go on to the next level, I think we're going to see his, you know, his body kind of get a little bit leaner. And I think we'll see him, you know, pick up a little bit of speed, you know, like like we see with Kelsey um and Gronk. So I think his game is only going to elevate in that way. But for right now, just the natural size of his body, getting the matchups, you know, one-on-one matchups based off formations and personnel. And it helps that Nerdame's able to run the ball so successfully because, you know, then you have to commit, you know, certain players. Um, so all of it just bodes, bodes well to Mayer's game. And I think he's just doing, uh, you know, what what he's built to do in this offense. And if he can continue to do it, like I said, this team will go a very long way because he's showing that, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily need, while, yes, you would like some, you know, high-end luxury wide receivers, he can also provide that production at the same time. And when you're running, kind of, sorry, last point here, but when you're running the ball so well early on first and second down, it makes those third and three, third and four passes to to Mayer so much easier because, you know, he's just getting three yards by the body himself, just getting open, catching the ball, it's automatically kind of three yards, and it's a well-oiled machine on their offense.
1: Yep, I agree. As to Stanford, let's talk a little Stanford because we've got rapid fire, and then again we've got the Stanford rider coming up later in the show. So they rank 69th in the nation in total offense, about 400 yards a game. That's currently two spots ahead of Marshall, four spots ahead of Cal, and ten spots ahead of next week's opponent, UNLV, in that department. So four Notre Dame opponents kind of bunched up there in the 60s, and you know down to to 79. Uh, the rushing offense only over a little over 138 a game. They ranked 90th, making them and Boston College, who is dead last. 131st at 68 yards per game uh, the two lowest ranked rushing offenses the Irish will play this season but that said now they're they're doing more RPO type stuff this year in their offense and Marcus Freeman was asked about that today let's so I've got this clip let's see what he had to say about it
4: Two different the the dilemmas that it presents. Well, if you're in zone coverage, the minute you trigger um, as a linebacker to go stop the run, you're opening up space behind you um, that they can pull it and throw it. You know, and they're creating space and trying to put in your your linebackers in a run pass conflict. Well, then the answer is say, okay, go play man. Well, now you're playing man to man coverage and and with no underneath help because the backers have to be able to respect that run game. And so you got to do some different things up front to try to. Be able to have your backers play a little bit more patiently, and you got to be able to play man-to-man coverage at times versus some big, tall, long wideouts. And so, it's a really good um, scheme that they've done a good job of of being able to execute in games. And uh, it's going to be a big challenge for us.
1: What do you think of that RPO game you see from Stanford, Jess?
2: Um, I think you know the, the number one thing I saw when when looking at kind of Stanford and what they've shown so far is you know they've. Yes, they're a one and four team, but they've they've played a pretty tough schedule. You know, six and and0 USC, four and two Washington, five and one Oregon, four and two Oregon State combined nineteen and four record in their four losses. You know, and their offense is putting up substantial points. It's not really the issue. The issue is that their defense has been extra poor and not really able to to stop some of these offenses. So, you know, I think Notre Dame ha- can't really sleep on this Stanford offense. They can't overlook them. Um, and I really think that it's going to provide um, some tough matchups for some of Notre Dame's weakest uh, positions defensively, and that's specifically the linebackers and what Freeman uh, was talking about. You know, the lineback- Notre Dame linebackers are going to be tested the most in this game. Uh, they have to honor run but can't allow, you know, for passing holes or lanes to kind of form behind them. And that's what Freeman was getting into uh, – or- Freeman was kind of getting into and I think the number one way that you can negate these kind of RPO looks or get them you know get into situations where you don't have to necessarily respect run as much as pass is you have to stop Stanford kind of early in in their possessions and force them into second and third and longs because then it's definite you know kind of passing situations and that's going to press take the pressure off of your linebackers to be in these constant you know, pass option reads. And, you know, quite frankly, they're not easy reads. It, it, it's 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 quite literally trying to to defend, you know, two things at one time. If you take too many steps forward, they're going to, you know, drop the pass behind you. If you don't come up quick enough, they're going to smash you in the mouth for three or four rushing yards. So it's it's a really tough matchup. And that's why I think that, you know, this week at linebacker, I think that Notre Dame should kind of get experimental with what their linebackers can do. And, you know, Prince Kali you know, the 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 speculation of him getting more playing time. This is a type of type of game that would really benefit him uh, because he is so good in the past. You know, he's he's quicker on his feet. Uh, being quicker like that allows for quicker recovery. If I was going to say
1: he can recover quicker. I think that's a big thing.
2: Yeah, right. And so even if you're playing on a little side of air, Kali can recover a little bit better and get back into, you know, passing windows quicker or recover and kind of shoot the gap in the run game a little bit. But you know, most importantly, like I said, this is going to be a hard game for these linebackers, especially if they let Stanford kind of get into rhythm. They need to, you know, get them off schedule, get them into second and long second or you know third and long situations where you're telling them, you know, okay, we definitely expect you to pass here, and we can rely more on well, our safety and some zone coverage. And it doesn't first, help our, our know, secondary.
1: It doesn't help when you've got an opponent pinned deep and you give up a third and eighteen run for a first <laughs> down either. You know, it's like it just shows. Uh, you know there's going to be some stress on those linebackers and why they've got to step it up okay so here's Freeman talking about Stanford's big receivers as well and I'll tell you how big here in just a second
4: you know when you look at the wideouts and the length um, you know they're tall guys that are are good at jump balls and they're going to throw it up to you know and then um, if you get too aggressive, they're going to run some different routes that, that try to put you at a disadvantage. So I think our DBs are are, are definitely going to be challenged this week in terms of being able to to win the fifty-fifty balls and understand there is no no just run game right in terms of a lot of their run game is is based off an RPO and so the corners at every play have to be ready to you know have the ball thrown their way and and um, be able to win those matchups you know versus some lengthy receivers and
1: you know it kind of spent the week being a little cocky and you know you look at some of these guys it's like Michael Wilson 6 foot 2 20 yards per catch <laughs> Elijah Higgins 6 foot 3 a little bit more manageable 11.3 per catch Bryson Tremaine 6 foot 4 12.7 per catch and then John Humphrey's 6 foot 5 not a lot of catches just 8 but he averages 16 per catch that is some size that Notre Dame is going to have to contend with out there, and you know, you got a six-six quarterback throwing him the ball as well. He can see over the line pretty well. He's not shot putting it out there.
2: Yeah, it, it's you know, looking at the Stanford film, you, you, the first thing you notice is their just overall size and kind of physicality at all positions. You know, that's that's quarterback, that's wide receiver, that's running back. These are guys who are just thick guys, big guys. You know, hard to bring down, um, and that's going to obviously present present challenges. But I think the biggest thing when, when talking about big wide receivers um, and RPO games is you have to look at what what's trying to be accomplished in the RPO scheme. You have uh, you know, only X amount of time until you have to throw it because then your linemen are gonna be illegally downfield kind of blocking. So there's still that kind of you know, rhythm of it. they can't it's not like you can hold, you know, draw out a run play action for four or five seconds or else your linemen are gonna be illegally downfield. So what's that mean? You know, the quarterbacks as soon as he's faking it is trying to get it out. So that's, you know, really oftentimes it's going to be quick slant routes in and outs. Like what I'm trying to say is these routes are going to be quick and it's going to be quick for, you know, these these wide receivers who are going to be using their bodies on slants to kind of just step in front of corners, you know, get get their frame similar to like Michael Mayer, just getting their frame, catching the ball and then forcing, you know, just being bigger and forcing those guys to kind of make tackles you know, after, after contact and that kind of stuff. So you see a lot of yak yards. Um, and so that's what, you know, Notre Dame corner secondary, you got to press up on these guys. You got to make them kind of earn these yards on RPO looks, you know, you can't just give them these immediate quick releases off the line of scrimmage or there's going to be hit with screens slants all day. And that, that goes in, you know, off of that the RPO look that Freeman is talking about and why having, you know, such big body wide receivers is important is because when you're faking that run and getting the ball out quickly, it's just you know throwing it to your wide receiver that's big and physical that's just standing in front of kind of a smaller corner or safety. So yeah. you really got to jam them off the line of scrimmage. You got to be in their face and kind of make them earn uh, those things and then get them, like we said earlier, into long-down situations.
4: There's
1: not necessarily a lot of speed out there either, but Jeff Brown, uh, and you know their their running back situation is not good either from from an overall health standpoint and depth. Jeff Brown though isn't the best thing to do against the slow mesh Stanford is using um, to to aggressively attack it. Should you aggressively, you know, just. Just go after the mesh, basically. I guess is what. He's
2: yeah, saying. I mean that's uh, ideally the best way that you blow up a play is you get a defensive tackle to bust through, or you get a blitzing linebacker to kind of bust through, and you're just tackling at the mesh point. You know, you're taking out but kind of both options at one time. Uh, when the quarterback is trying to, you know, uh, give the the ball to the belly into the belly of the running back, but then also kind of decide if he's trying to pass it at the same time. Well, you blow all that up by just simply, yeah, you know, blowing up that kind of mesh point. And you can do that through, you know, someone's going to go unguarded. That's often the scheme in RPO looks. The defensive end is going to crash down and blow it up. You know, whether a defensive tackle can get through or if you're doing some sort of blitzing scheme where, you know, your linebacker is setting the edge and your defensive end is kind of folding in. Just either way, you kind of, you have to, yeah, you have to blow up that mesh point um, and immediately kind of take away that run option.
1: All right, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good thoughts on Stanford and that offense. And, you know, their defense is just porous it is just you know it's just flat out they're giving up over 200 rushing yards of games it, it's just flat out not the Stanford the physical Stanford team that we got used to seeing a few years back it has just been in steady decline you know you're right they've played some good teams but again I think that just like Marcus Freeman has preached this game is is going to be won down in the trenches based on things like you're talking about whether it's stopping you know, the run blowing up the mesh or on the other side of the ball, being able to run the ball effectively and put yourself, you know, like what you were alluding to either, or, or or earlier, the the team that puts themselves in better second and third and short type situations is the team that's going to have more success in this game, especially since neither team causes any turnovers.
2: Yeah. And I forgot, you know, when we were talking about Michael Mayer there and, you know, what maybe Stanford can do and other teams can do to, to guard him, simply you know, the best option is just bracket coverage and bracket coverage is you have, you know, kind of a guy underneath and a guy over top just to, you know, to cover both routes, you know, a lot of tight end routes or option routes sitting in the holes, the zones, like we talked about. And I just wanted to get to this because I know we didn't get, you know, we kind of didn't get to it earlier, but that's really the only thing you can do to to stop Michael Mayer is you got to bracket him, you know, maybe commit to double coverage. But if you're going to do that, you know, bracket coverage is usually kind of safety over top and then a linebacker underneath for the, underneath routes. But if you're going to do that, then that means, you know, Jaden Thomas, Lorenzo Styles, they got to do stuff with their one-on-one coverage and get open. Because if you're going to commit two guys to Mayer and you're, you know, you're already committing to a run game, guys like Styles and Jaden Thomas should get open. Somebody's going to get open. That's right. Somebody's going to get open and they have to be able to take advantage of the opportunities because the good teams are going to get into that with Notre Dame. They're going to get into stopping the run game. They're going to get into, you know, taking Mayer away and then, so then what's it going to be? Well, then, you know, someone's got to be open and it's got to be time for Styles and Thomas to make these kind of big, big plays that we saw but uh, a little bit of. To Drew Pine's
1: credit, I like the fact that he's not afraid to keep going to Mayer, even though they are already dedicating more attention to him. He's not afraid to go to him. He knows how good Michael Mayer is, and he's willing to to throw the ball up and and let Michael Mayer go get it more times than not, Mayor's getting it
2: yeah and if it's you know if it's don't if it's not broke then don't fix it so if teams want to continue to guard mayor that way and I, more more power to them because i think Notre names found what they're gonna do if that's the case